Welcome to the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast, where we talk about the clinical and practical issues that face those working in the mental health industry. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health. My name is Erin Melano Bailey. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Cognitive Behavior Institute, and my co-host, Dr. Kevin Caridad, who is the CEO and owner of Cognitive Behavior Institute. On this week's episode, we have with us a guest, Mary Jane McCullough, who is the founder and CEO of Global Wordsmiths, an adjunct faculty lecturer of translation technologies and applied translation in the MA of Global Communication and Applied Translation Program at Carnegie Mellon University and co-chair of the Pennsylvania Immigration and Citizenship Coalition Board of Directors. She also serves as the Executive Committee Co-Chair of the Pittsburgh-based All for All Coalition and sits on several advisory boards in order to share her broad expertise in the fields of language accessibility and language justice. She is driven and passionate and dedicated to advancing a culture culture of language access. So Mary Jane, thank you so much for being here with us today and with our listeners. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about how you became interested in the intersection uh, between language and mental health? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Always happy to talk both about language access and language justice as well as mental health. Um, So this is a real treat and I first became interested in the intersection of mental health with language accessibility because um, I'm a trained Spanish translator interpreter and for about 10 years my job was to drive around a five county area in southwestern Pennsylvania and go into families homes and interpret for um, social service providers and social workers and case management providers. Um, So I worked with a lot of um, families, in particular mothers and children who were very isolated um, because of the language barrier. And I just really got um, like a really intense look at what their needs were and um, you know the effect that that kind of isolation had on their mental health. And then I became a mother um, and postpartum kind of smacked me in the face with both of my children. And I kind of connected the dots there and thought, you know, not only is there a language barrier, but there's the inherent mental health and isolation challenges that come with motherhood. Um, And that's kind of really where my um, kind of passion for it came from was particularly maternal mental health um, with regard to language accessibility and immigrants and refugees and English learners in areas where there just isn't a lot of infrastructure or support for language. Can you tell us more about the Pittsburgh area and and then beyond where, where are the greatest needs typically for, uh, for language and you know, tell us about how the pandemic is shaping uh, how that's done these days. Yeah, so Pittsburgh is actually a lot more diverse than people think. Um, we've got more than 90 languages represented within Pittsburgh public schools. Um, per the last real big data collection that was done about five years ago um, through the Allegheny County Department of Human Services Immigrants and Internationals Initiative, um, we left close to 30,000 people who identify as having limited English proficiency. Um, I prefer to use the term English learner because it's a lot more positive than um, you know limited English proficiency. Um, so that's almost 30 or that's 30,000 people in um, just Allegheny County alone. And of those, the demographic breakdown is um, really diverse. Our top languages here are Spanish, Nepali, 
Arabic, um, Mandarin Chinese, and um, then we also have um, growing Uzbek population. We have a lot of Russian speakers here. Um, so really it's a much more diverse um, area than you would think, but because of the language barriers and just like the inherent segregation of our communities, um, that's hard to see. And I think the pandemic has obviously exacerbated the isolation, um, but also a lot of language um, assistance services have moved to online platforms and telephonic interpretation, just like in other industries. Um, so there really is kind of incredible adaptation happening, um, but whether or not we're able to reach um, English learners is another question, right, during, during this time. Okay, great. Uh, what, what are you hearing back from clinicians, from behavioral health clinicians, when it comes to the use of languages and some of the concerns that they have? Uh, and maybe just lack of knowledge, uh, maybe not utilizing, but now they're virtual, they're pulling from a, a larger pool of, of patients from either locally or beyond the state uh, or, uh, or the whole state. So uh, can you speak to that as well as, uh, you know, do you, do you cross uh, state lines? Yeah, so personally, uh, yes, I, you know, I've done interpretation all over the place. Um, and with the use of virtual platforms, we're able to interpret for clients all over the country and um, even in other countries. But locally, I think language access has always been a challenge. And that, again, has just been exacerbated by the COVID-19 crisis. And I think what I hear from service providers is um, mostly just that the need is really smacking them in the face now because the information that needs to go out to people is so vital and it does regard public health and um, people are in crisis. And so, um, whereas many times I think language accessibility is an afterthought for service providers, um, not out of malice or for lack of want, simply because they don't have the resources or the knowledge or the tools um, to be effective with language access resources. But now um, you have that kind of um, deficiency sort of um, complicated by the fact that we have really important information that we have to get to English learning communities that are just really hard to reach. So I think what I hear most is one, we don't know how to language access and two, how do we get this information to people quickly? Um, yeah, could you tell us a little bit um, about all the services that Global Wordsmiths uh, offers and for any clinicians that may be in need of these services, how they can contact you guys? Yeah, so Global Wordsmiths does um, primarily translation and interpretation. Um, we do written translation in more than 50 languages. We do oral interpretation um, over video and in person in more than 40 languages. And then we can offer telephonic in inter interpretation on demand um, in over 100 languages. And then I personally do a lot of consulting with municipal governments, um, state governments, hospital systems um, with regard to language accessibility and creating sort of policies and procedures to become more accessible um, and to be in legal compliance. And then we do a lot of training where we teach service providers, you know, why language access is so important, what language access means, what the different resources are that are available to them, and then how to engage with those resources. One of the questions I have is, uh, when you're working with clinicians, are you aware of any way of insurance help supporting financially the cost of translation? Uh, have you heard any feedback? Is, is, that, is that available? 
I've heard that Medicaid and medical assistants are required by law to reimburse providers for a certain percentage of the cost of interpretation, but I don't know how successful or how easy it is to be successful in getting that reimbursement. Um, so apart from that, uh, in terms of private insurers, I really have no idea. And what should clinicians be mindful of or what kind of insight can you provide uh, when establishing a new client relationship with an English learner? Is there anything you can kind of shed light on that is helpful to be mindful of? Yeah, I think there are a couple things that are important to keep in mind for service providers. Um, one has to do with um, like logistics and applied skills and the other has to do with cultural competence. Um, and I'll start with that, which is that I think it's really easy for well-meaning advocates and interpreters and bilingual helpers and volunteers to view English learners as needing to be saved, right? And so when we kind of go into it from that angle, um, we can kind of miss the mark when we're trying to advocate for people because really English learners are capable adults who don't need us to speak on their behalf. They just need equitable access to services, right? And that's what language accessibility is all about. So I think that going into um, a situation where you're working with an English learner, it's important to view them as capable adults or capable human beings who um, don't so much need to be saved, just need to be um, able to use their voice to communicate clearly. And then the other one are practical skills. Um, you know, look at and speak directly to the English learner. Don't look at the interpreter and ask the interpreter questions about the English learner, for example. Um, speak in the first person. Um, introduce yourself directly to the English learner and not to the interpreter, right? Um, you want to make sure that you are communicating directly with your subject and not with your interpreter about your subject. That's excellent advice. So almost pretending like the interpreter is not there and you're just having a face-to-face -face conversation with another individual. Exactly. And a trained interpreter will be able to manage that for you, right? It definitely feels awkward at first, but like any other skill, the more you do it, the better at it you'll get. Um, and over time, it feels less awkward and you start to you know, gain confidence in, in doing it. Great, that's wonderful. And uh, for all of our clinicians who are listening or any administrators, can you tell us where they can find information about Global Wordsmiths and where they could contact you? Sure, yeah, our website is www.globalwordsmiths.com. Um, you can also reach out to me directly at mjm at globalwordsmiths.com. You can visit us on Facebook um, or Instagram, LinkedIn, any of the big social media platforms. And in general, in Pittsburgh, we're all over the place. Um, so feel free to reach out anyway, um, and it'll eventually make its way back to me, I'm sure. Wonderful. And do you have any other resources that our listeners could use to learn more about this topic? Yeah, so it's not the the best resource, um, but lep.gov has a lot of information with regard to the legal basis for language access. There are some planning tools, um, but there are also a number of um, foundations and grassroots advocacy organizations who have created toolkits and um, have tons of resources. If you just Google language justice or language access, language accessibility, um, kind of a million tools will pop up and, um, you know, I think they're all, they're all good in their own ways. Um, so it's really just kind of picking the resources that are right for your organization and your practice. 
Excellent. Well, thank you uh, very much for all of this information. I know that um, language interpreting is something that clinicians typically uh, are in need of services for clients who reach out and are in need. I know personally, we have worked with services when it comes to uh, part of our child and family center at CBI where a custody agreement from another country for someone who is relocating here has come over and we have been in need of getting that translated. So uh, there are several different, you know, types of interpreter and translation services that seem to be frequently needed. So what you guys are doing in the community and all across um, state lines even seems to be really well needed. So thank you so much for being with us and, and explaining that. Yeah, absolutely. And to that, I'll just speak one last point about language access, which is just that, you know, even in that example where somebody may have a custody agreement or a legal document from another country that needs to be translated to be admissible in court here, you know, I think language accessibility is something that affects um, English learners in every interaction they have, you know, throughout their day and in almost every um, aspect of their lives. And so if you think about um, the impact it has on somebody to attempt anything and be met with this barrier. Um, I think it kind of can help frame uh, language access work in empathy, right? Where we think, wow, this person, you know, can't easily open a bank account or take public transportation or engage with public safety or go to the store or make an appointment or you know, speak to their child's teacher or go to the doctor without um, having to find outside help or um, do 10 times the work that we would have to do to accomplish the same task. Um, it's easy to um, kind of understand how exhausted people are, right? And um, that's kind of like their baseline by the time they even get to you, right? So. I'm actually gonna make a point to Kevin about that because um, Kevin, don't you think that that empathetic role. I mean, I think that's a great point because by the time a clinician, you know, me or a client calls or has found the resources, there's probably a lot of work that has gone up until that point that we take for granted as an English speaking client living in an English speaking country. And so I think clinicians probably are, that's that empathetic piece is probably something really to touch on. Would you agree, Kevin? Yeah, I think, you know, putting the effort out and having be able to connect with a client uh, in their unique language, uh, I think would be go a long way to help uh, establishing a therapeutic alliance with them. And I think it's instrumental. Uh, and, and I think one of the reasons why uh, we would really appreciated you coming on uh, on this podcast that I'd really highlight that. Yeah, well, thanks for the opportunity. And I think, you know, it's, it's hard enough, I think, you know, you hear a lot about mental health and about treatment, just, you know, making the phone call, you know, making that initial contact with a provider to, you know, engage in therapy or to talk about medication is something that's really hard for people at baseline, like even before you layer in the um, language barrier. And so that just makes it really hard for people. Um, and also there are a lot of cultural boundaries um, where even in our country, which I think is pretty open to um, talking about mental health and destigmatizing mental health issues. You know, you have people coming from parts of the world where it's absolutely frowned upon and seen as a weakness. And so there are lots of other kind of things that go into it for English learners also, um, which just makes it 
really remarkable and an act of like radical strength for somebody to even make it to that point, right? Where they're talking about um, getting some kind of treatment. Absolutely. Those are all great points. Yes. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here with us. And we appreciate you taking the time uh, to share with us and our listeners more about the services about global wordsmiths, as well as things to keep in mind when providing care to clients who are English learners. So thank you so much, Mary Jane. We really do appreciate your time being here with us uh, today for your breakdown. All right. Thank you so much. So thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in for this week's episode of The Barrier Breakdown. As always, you can find us on social media on Instagram at Cognitive Behavior Institute, as well as our podcasts appear on our YouTube channel, which we do invite you to subscribe to the channel, as well as you can hear the podcast on Spotify, Podbean, and Apple Podcasts. You can find more information about Cognitive Behavior Institute Center for Education on our website, www.cbicenterforeducation.com, where we have low-cost, robust continuing education credits to further our mission of advancing the clinical efficacy of behavioral health professionals. Thank you so much for joining us this week on The Barrier Breakdown, and we will see you all next time. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast. Check out our website at cbicenterforeducation.com for more information and to learn about upcoming continuing education events.